Have you have you watched Lost? You should watch no, Lost. No, I am not going to watch Lost. Oh, it's so good. No, it's not. The first the first three seasons are legitimately good. Yeah, and then the rest of it is 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 is. Uh... Oh, the wheels absolutely fall off. <laughs> Every episode is like a season finale. <laughs> Which is very Stephen King-y in, like, writing ways, where you have every chapter end on this crazy cliffhanger, so you have to keep reading it. It's just, like, it's just jumping the shark constantly. Oh, boy. Yeah, boy. And they just keep asking questions. They never answer them. No, I just remember seeing, um, like, commercials for it, like, on TV, like, you know, in bet- like before watching, like, the next episode of American Idol or, or Survivor or whatever that era. And I just remember, mm-hmm. like... Just we have the to craziest, like you're like, oh, there's a black mist on the island that's taking people, and I was like, all right, cool, I'm good, bro. You just don't get it. I don't. You should watch. It's well, so see, good. It's funny because there's like there's okay, story time. There is a very short oh, story. Time. There was a, there was a kid okay. in my ninth grade geometry class who was super into Lost, and that was that was when the last we were dating ourselves here. That was when the last season was airing. He would come in every whatever day it aired, maybe Wednesday or whatever. And he would come in like the next day and just be like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable what just happened last time. And I'm like, Michael, I don't care. And Michael was like, we'd like work together usually on Wednesdays or whatever the day was. And and I basically heard, it's like it's like knowing as a friend, like when Game of Thrones was airing, who was just like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened. And I was like, I don't, I don't really like, care. I, I don't care at all. You know, but yeah. Well, anyway. Story time over. Uh, the Buzz Lightyear origin movie. Do you watch it? Makes me a little frustrated. Is it out? No, it's not out yet, no, I don't like... think. But they already had the origin story of Buzz Lightyear in the animated oh my show Buzz Lightyear Star Command. It's not, isn't it like different though? Because he's like not, is Buzz Lightyear Star Command about the actual guy or is it about the toy? Because I never watched that show. Because this one's like supposed What's to be. What's the a, difference? Because the, the movie is supposed to be about like the person the toy is based off of, I guess. Even though it makes no sense timeline wise. Like, hold on, wait a You're minute. You're trying to tell me in the Toy Story world they had. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm not up on my Toy Story. I've never seen Toy Story three or four. Check so like, lore. I'm not, and I haven't seen Toy Story two yeah, since. Like, it was it actually out. known for being in space. So that's, that's a good point. Andy famously <laughs> is an astronaut. <laughs> um, no, I, oh, I mean boy. I have no idea what the lore is, but it looks like a fun movie. I mean, Chris Evans is nice. Yeah, I'm gonna have a good time watching it for sure. Yeah, yeah. You been watching Obi Wan? Yeah, yeah. I'm three episodes into Obi Wan. I've only seen the first two. Okay. Do you like it? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been wanting the show for like a decade, so I, I will watch any Star Wars like content it. and like it. Well, I didn't love Boba Fett. I haven't. I still haven't finished Boba Fett because it kind of fell off. But what? Oh, come on! You're gonna tell me the first few episodes are like you go? Oh, this is so you got to keep watching. No, they were. They did not hook you at all. No. But boy, the the ending was. I enjoyed the okay. ending. Okay. It's like they saved all of their action for the last episode. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, That's like I, I, I watched. I think me. the second and third because I watched the first one, fell off it, and then. Tried getting back into it second and third, and I I was enjoying it more, but I wasn't like, you know. Anyway. Well, anyone, everyone, folks out there, my name is Ian. I am your intrepid co-host today. I'm joined here by Mr. Will Rehaloma. Yeehaw. And as you all know, we are a physics podcast where we teach you physics through the lens of our all of our favorite popular media. Heck yeah. That's all there is to it. We play this show in three sections. We got the corrections corner. We got the physics lesson. And then we got questions from the audience. So we're going to start right away. We do have a clarifying question Ooh. from uh, last episode. Episode number 15 was a, was from the movie Dodgeball. Yep. 
it was about technically the equivalence principle, but like <laughs> you just say it's about gravity, I guess, or mass or something. But kind of the force of gravity, especially projectile motion. Yeah. What we call projectile motion. We got a question from our friend and a uh, longtime contributor to the show mm, at Andalon 17. Uh, I remember Andalon 17. I'm sure you do. The question Who asks? About the whole wrench and dodgeball having the same gravitational force and acceleration, what about air resistance? In practical terms, because of things like air resistance, isn't it harder to dodge a wrench than to dodge a ball? That is a uh, a fair point, Anlin17. Yeah, good point. I, I will, you know, slight point. Uh, technically, the gravitational forces are different, but because their masses are also different, the accelerations are the same. But you're right. And because there's air resistance... In the real world, right? We're not all living in the, in space. Yeah, right. Like the the ball would slow down more while it's flying towards you than the wrench would. But in the end, doesn't that mean that patches of hula hands actually training them to dodge something that's harder to dodge? So it's actually going to be beneficial to them in the big tourney. I don't know. I think it fits the fits the lore. But that's a good a good point. Good point. There you go. Oftentimes in physics, I think Will had a whole spiel about it in episode 15 we don't necessarily put everything in the real world we (laughs) approximate that's for engineers to do yeah the engineers are the ones who turn things from theory into into practice i think it was when actually we we had a question about a cow falling Mm. yeah yeah. i think that's when you discuss sort of the difference between sort of the theoretical world and the pragmatic practical world yeah and that sometimes oftentimes it's not actually that big of a difference right like a, a dodgeball isn't going to slow down a ton in the distance from, from the thrower to you, right? It'll slow down a little bit, but not like a lot. So like, you know, in physics, we tend to generalize and simplify things because while it will make a slight difference, will it make an appreciable difference is generally the thing we care about more. So folks, if you have corrections for us, if you catch anything out, catch us out saying something that ain't right, uh, we do like to follow the rules of science. Or say if, if, you, if you do science and you're wrong, that's okay. As long as you don't keep being wrong on purpose. Yeah. So... We're like, Tweet the, at us. we're like the founding fathers. We print retractions, you know? That's right. Who famously did not print retractions, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tweet at us at reference frame or at, at podcast frames. Oh, let me take that one more time. There we go. You can tweet at us at podcast frames. You can email us reference frames podcast at gmail.com. You can send us a message on Facebook. After I noted that we have a Facebook account, I did receive a message last week. Oh, no way. Or two weeks ago. Yep. Which was, am I the first person to send you a message? Nice. And the answer, yes. <laughs> Don't be the uh, last. Those are the ways you can contact us. If you if you catch us slipping, please let us know. So with that, Will, would you like to take us to the theater of mind for today's physics lesson? I would love to, Ian. Scott Lang, known in some circles as Ant-Man. Was Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Was <laughs> <Sorry>. me. <laughs> was mere days from the end of his two years of house arrest before he ends up having to leave to help the father-daughter duo Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne rescue Janet, Hank's wife and Hope's mother, from the quantum realm. As they near the end of their mission and are being hounded by others with designs for the quantum realm, Hank travels there through a portal in his lab while Scott and Hope shrink the entire building down to suitcase size to escape their pursuers. A three-way chase begins through the streets of San Francisco, with the lab switching possessions between our heroes, a woman who wants to use Janet's quantum energy to cure her quantum condition, and goons working for a small-time black market dealer who wants the lab for material gain. 
Scott's suit periodically malfunctions throughout the case, causing his size to vary wildly from ant to toddler to truck to building size, and also human size. While Scott struggles to maintain both control of his suit and possession of the lab, Hope and his best friend Luis use everything from giant Hello Kitty Pez dispensers and life-size Hot Wheels cars to evade the pursuit, all while shrinking and, and regrowing their own van to great and comedic effect as well. This all culminates in Scott skateboarding on a dump truck, riding on the back of a newly christened Antonio Banderas before his untimely demise in the beak of a hungry seagull, and chasing the black market dealer into the bay as a colossus to retrieve the lab from aboard the ferry. He finally manages to nab the lab and returns it to Hope and Luis, but not before passing out in the bay as a result of the air feeling, quote, chunky due to his immense size. And I love this part of the movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's just so goofy. I love it. But yeah. what are we talking about today? Paul Rudd, I hope. We're just talking about Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd in general. He's a force of nature. Oh, yeah. Best Hot hot Ones uh, interview yet. Uh, what might we talk about with this? There's a uh, lot going on hand, here. Hand-wavy science that I goes will on say, in the Marvel it's world. It's not a typical episode type uh, uh, focus this time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is it because it's not a typical episode? Like, it's not going to be like an equation or something like that. Like we talked oh, about. Thank, thank goodness. I know. Ugh. Well, that makes it even harder for me to try to guess. Try to go what we're going through here. I mean, are you going to, are we going to finally broach the topic of quantum physics? Mm-hmm. You threw the word quantum around a lot. I did. So does that movie. However, yeah, that, they really just throw scene. it out there because it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, we could talk about, I guess, the relationship between sort of scale and mass. Mm. Uh, that's always sort of an interesting discussion. You know, my ants can survive any fall, but mm. a human-sized ant maybe couldn't survive any fall. R.I.P. Antonio Banderas. Stop. That's so funny. I'm canceling this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm. Lo- I'm at kind of a loss for this one. What are sure. we? What are we doing? That's fine. So it's a little bit of a cheat. It's not technically a physics principle, um, <gasps> but we're talking about the square cube law, which is technically a mathematical principle. We're doing math. Well, okay, but it relates to a lot of different science fields, including physics and engineering. Math through popular media. Heck yeah. Um, fun fact: the square cube law. We'll get into it in a bit was first described by Galileo in 1638. I learned that. I was researching for this. Oh, yeah? 1638. This is a long time ago. I I didn't know... After the printing press was invented, though. It was after the printing press, 1440s. Interestingly, though, uh, I didn't realize that Queen was around back then. I don't know. Kind of confusing. Anyway. um, Magnificent! There we go. Uh, Yeah, so the square cube law, it's... Really just a mathematical truth. Um, so if you imagine an object, it's, it's all about the relationship between an object's volume and an object's surface area and how those change as the object is increased or decreased in size. Um, so you can imagine, if you will, you have a normal six-sided um, plastic die. You know, you might roll at the casino or playing Yahtzee or whatever, um, Parcheesi. Those are roughly one and a half centimeters on a side or so. So if you take that die and let's say we Ant-Man it, Ant-Man style, make it grow until it's about a meter on each side. All right, Ian, you with me so far? We're shy with a little pin particle. It's grown big. So that means that each side is now roughly 60 times wider, right? Went from one and a half centimeters to about a meter. That's give or take roughly 60 times 
bigger on each side. All right. Okay. I'll buy it. Cool. That means that each face of the die is now 3,600 times larger than the simple die was because area, right, is length times width. They both are going up by yep. 60. The result is... 60 times 60 is... 3,600. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So the so the surface area went up by almost 4,000. Pretty big deal. But the volume went up by 60 by 60 by 60 or roughly 220,000 times larger. So... That's more. It's a lot more than 3,600. 220,000 is a lot more. Now, this might not seem profound. It's like, okay, yeah, multiplying by 60, by 60, by 60, whatever. Like, that's not, what's the big deal? And that's fair. It might not seem super profound until you realize or recognize that generally an object's mass and therefore its weight go with its volume, right? While its structural integrity generally goes with its cross-sectional area, all right? So if you imagine cutting that die in half, that's really important. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So... This generally means that if you try to scale something up Ant-Man style, the weight force acting on the object goes up really, 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 really fast, right? If you triple the each dimension, it goes up by a factor of 27, um, which right. can cause some structural problems. So if you imagine a one-inch cube of concrete, right, you can imagine that's pretty stable, not going to break it's just if you just set it on the table or something like that. Generally fine. Concrete is a pretty strong material. It can hold, it can support itself. But if we scale up that one-inch cube by a factor of 1,000, meaning it'd be roughly 30, 30 yards or so per side. So pretty big, you know, like a third of a pretty football big. stadium, pretty large. If we did that, the base of the cube, so the each side increased by 1,000, the base area will have increased by a million. And then the volume, and therefore the mass, would have increased by a billion times. Oh. So if we imagine that the original cube, just the one-inch cube, right, the, the mm-hmm. one square inch on the, on the base of it is just supporting one cubic inch of concrete. Not too much, enough for it to support, as we know. But if you scale it up to the thousand times, right, each square inch of that new cube is now supporting a thousand cubic inches, a thousand times more weight pressing down in that one, the same area. So as you can imagine, at some point, to keep scaling things up, it becomes untenable, right? It'll start experiencing stresses and strains and collapse and break. And, and you know, concrete may be strong, but it's not strong enough to withstand infinite force right if you can imagine getting it bigger and bigger and bigger so that's kind of the idea of the of the square um cube laws kind of the whole idea that volume goes up way faster than area does you with me so far Ian? yeah let me try let me try to restate the way you did the concrete yeah you take a little concrete mm-hmm. little cube and you scale it up what you're saying is that for all those little concrete cubes you could fit in that big concrete cube mm-hmm. the ones at the bottom are experiencing way more force because there are so many essentially stacked on top of them. Exactly. Exactly. Right, if you were to break that big concrete cube into a lot of one-inch concrete cubes, you think about how many now are on top of the bottom layer of concrete cubes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It took me a moment to get through that. But it's yes. a little tricky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That. There's, yeah. There's, a, there's a million square inches on the bottom, but there's a billion cubic inches of volume of mass, right? So mm-hmm. it's a lot more weight per square inch, effectively. Pushing down, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk a bit more about what this means in the other fields when we get to the in the real world, but let's bring this into the scene, right? So there's a few things to note, right? Probably most of the things that are going on here couldn't really work, right? Um, I'm not complaining. It's a great <laughs> scene. It's really funny, right? But, um, you know, when Scott becomes the size of a building, notably, he does eventually pass out, right? The, the, the part of the scene is he delivers a thing and he passes out into the bay, right? So, like, 
you know, at least there's some effects. Like, presumably, it's not entirely clear what the reason he passes out is. He does say the air, quote, feels chunky, and which presumes maybe there's not enough oxygen for his big blood supply now. But also, back in Civil War, which is the reason he's on house arrest, right, if you recall, when he goes big and he goes back, he's like, uh, does anyone have any orange slices? Which presumes maybe he used too much energy, he needs some sugar. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. It's so dumb. Paul Rudd is so good. I love that man. He's so good. Um, anyway, so there are some adverse effects to him getting so big. But realistically, if you scaled up a human, I mean, what is that? He's probably three stories tall, so that's like 30 feet, so like five, five-fold higher. Means his mass went up five times, five times, five, 125 times, right? Realistically, his legs are probably not going to be in great shape if Ooh. they're supporting all that weight. Thankfully, he hops in the, yeah. he's in the water for most of it, so actually he might be okay. There's some buoyancy there, but nonetheless, not great. Yeah, imagine the knees. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. Exactly. Yowzers. Yeah. And he's like running. He's being active. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, some of the, you know, other things like the Pez dispenser, right? That's just made of pretty soft plastic. Presumably, they make it the size of a car. <laughs> I don't think it would be able to just like sit there because um, it wasn't right. built it, to be that large, right? Like it's not yeah. structurally designed to be that large. There's a lot more weight. If you, if you sat it up, standing straight up like a Pez dispenser normally would, right, with the big Hello Kitty head on the top, then all that weight would be pushing down on a, on a larger surface area than it was when it was small, but not as large as the volume increased and the mass increased by. So it would probably crumple or something like that or crack or something under its own weight. All right, so that's the scene. So, Ian, where do you think we see effects of this phenomenon, this principle in the you know, I was kind of close, wasn't I? In the beginning, I talked about shockingly close. Yeah, I was. I I, I feel like I danced around it. You Where do we do. see it in real life? Um, it does. It 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 affects a lot of things, um, especially design wise. It's kind of heady, isn't it? Yeah. Why don't you start? Sure. Why don't you, why don't you take us off? Yeah, yeah. So a, a classic example is um, like how big of buildings we can build or could build historically, right? So skyscrapers re- literally couldn't have been constructed the size they are now before the advent of mass-produced steel. It just wasn't um, structurally capable because as you keep building these things bigger and bigger and bigger, if all you're using is wood and brick and maybe some, like, you know, iron nails or whatever, right, beams, you need to have more and more of the structure be taken up by the supports that are helping it maintain its height, right? And eventually that becomes, like, there's no room inside the structure to, to have offices or anything going on it's all beams and support trusses and things like that and therefore and eventually it becomes just impossible there's not there's too much weight and it can't can, um you know it can't hold itself up so size skyscrapers or buildings in general right as we've gotten better materials as we continue to get better materials with like you know carbon nanostructures and things like that there are things we can then build that we couldn't have built before which is pretty cool um so you know as an example like a steel cube could get bigger than like a wooden cube could before it collapsed in on itself Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's one example. I have a few more. So if you need me to keep going, let me know. I, yeah, I think I do. I'm that's I'm, fine. That's fine. I'm thinking over here, but boy, it's so I mean, look, tricky. One. I've had a lot of time to think about this, right? Um, <laughs> so another classic one that you often hear about is not just the design of things we built, but also the design of us and other animals, right? So there is a limit to how big an animal can get, right? Um, and it's entirely not entirely, but largely due to this exact principle, right? So as you keep getting an animal bigger and bigger, like an elephant or something like that, right? 
Um, it needs more and more of its body mass needs to be entirely intended for helping it maintain upright stature, right? So an, an elephant's bones are way heavier. They need to be much thicker and bigger and stronger because it's supporting more and more mass. And as it gets bigger and bigger, right? Generally animals expand in all directions, right? Um, it's, it's mass is increasing far more. And if you look at like dinosaurs, they're colossal, right? There's a lot of people that say you literally can't get bigger than some of those long necked dinosaurs. Like it just would not be possible on the planet earth with our gravity being what it is. Really? Um, cause so much of their bulk is just meant to help them stand. And they, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, it's untenable. Yeah. That's why the T-Rex had tiny little arms. They don't help it stand. Probably. I, that must be why. <laughs> it's gotta be it. I'm no archaeologist, but, uh, <laughs> if you're an archaeologist out there, don't correct me, yes. please. I need this. Sweet have us. <laughs> uh, also the opposite realm, right? So th- there's a, there's a size limit how big you can get because eventually you start using these huge limbs, just maintain your, 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 your stature. Um, but also mm-hmm. the opposite is true, right? Because volume increases so much faster as you increase the size, it also decreases much faster as you decrease the size, right? Which is largely why ants, right? Here's a good example, ants, or any small hey. insect, right? There's a reason their limbs can be so thin and yet still support their mass, right? Because as they've gotten smaller and smaller, they need less surface area because the volume is decreasing faster than the surface area. So they can have these thin stick-like legs and hold themselves up. And even, like you said earlier, Ian, about the whole ant falling and stuff like that, right? Because they're so small, they don't need a lot of surface area, a lot of width and depth and thickness to their limbs or, or um, exoskeletons or whatever to take, quote-unquote, high impacts for their relative size. So that's why smaller animals like cats or squirrels can kind of actually survive terminal velocity falling because, you know, they're small. They don't have a ton of mass relative to their um, thickness of their limbs. Yeah. Very cool. They don't take fall damage. Exactly. They're immune. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Pretty hardcore, man. Yeah. All right, I got a few more. Yeah, I'm... That's fine. It's, it, like, it's not the typical physics thing, right? Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to talk about it. And it relates, right? You know, mass yeah, and physics fair. and stuff, but yeah, kind of cool. Um, it also affects, right, not just buildings, but also aircraft, um, right? So wing surface area is very important for generating lift um, on planes and especially in helicopters, even more, more um, of an impact. There's only so much an aircraft can haul or lift or, or cargo carry, whatever, because as it keeps getting more, it needs bigger and bigger wings, and the wings can't keep getting bigger at the same rate the mass gets bigger because of the square cube law. So, I mean, unless you have, like, really, really dense, you know, cargo or something like that. But, like, you know, presumably um, you need just absolutely colossal wings to haul just a little bit more weight at some point. Interesting, interestingly, though, the opposite is true for airships or, like, dirigibles, because in their case... They want more volume because the volume is the yeah. thing that's keeping them aloft, right? Right. So actually for an airship or anything that's buoyant, like a boat, right? anything that relies on buoyancy, buoyancy cares about density, not mass. So they actually don't mind the square cube lot. It actually helps them out. Um, the bigger the huh. – yeah, we'll put a, a link there as well about a – where they mentioned some Zeppelins that were built um, by Germany. And like one was built only like 30 feet longer than the other one was, but it doubled the volume because square cube lot. Right. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. The technically, airships actually benefit from the square cube law. Um, kind of cool. All right, I got So, one. if you're out there and you're an airship designer or a boat designer. Bring them back. Yeah, don't even worry about don't it. Worry. You, got one, you got another one? I have one more. 
and it's Let's a little it. different than the typical structural strength stuff. Okay. So, uh, and a lot of this stuff is coming from an article that we'll also put a link to. It's a very interesting article. Um, but generally, and this is, you know, quite the simplification, but for organisms like us and like squirrels and ants and whatever elephants, heat production, like how much heat we generate just by existing is sort of roughly proportional to that creature's volume, but its heat dissipation rate, the rate at which it can give off heat, is largely to do with the surface area, right? Because that's the interface with the outside world. Yeah. So small animals, shrews and hummingbirds being very good examples, because they're so small, they dissipate heat very quickly relative to how fast they can generate it, which is largely why they eat so much. Shrews eat their own body weight each day because they need oh to God. or they will, like... Because they're warm-blooded animals, they will cool down too much and die. Same thing with hummingbirds wow. drinking so much sugar water all day long, drinking sugar water because they're so small. I mean, you know, they have to expend a lot of energy too. But to keep themselves warm, they have to expend that energy because they have such large surface area relative to their volume. Kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I didn't thought about that, but I read that and I was like, that is fascinating. Very fascinating. Right. So that's what I got. Square Cube Lot, really interesting stuff. You can look up more about it. It's, it's really, it's a cool... And they're very simple, right? It's just like, yeah, it makes sense. Length with height, length width, or just length. You know, there's an extra dimension there. But it affects yeah. a lot. You know, plant size, animal size, building size, pretty much everything. Super cool. All things to consider. You got a, you, Do you have a punchline on it, or was that it? Uh, those are all the, all the, you know, real world, quote unquote, examples I could think of in the brief time I was writing the script. But To the one sentence, square cube law summary. Basically, as you... Uh, Ant-Man, poor Ant-Man, would, uh, if he got too big, maybe maybe building size isn't big enough, but he got a little bit bigger, maybe the size of like an air, air, aircraft carrier or something like that, eventually he would, you know, all of it, like his femurs would fracture. <laughs> like he just couldn't support his own weight. It's, uh, it's dangerous. So don't, if, you, if you're imagining it'd be fun to get huge or get small, just remember the human body is designed very well for our current size. If we get too small, we would probably give off too much heat we got too big, we'd probably not feel too good. So be glad. Be glad for your size. That's a very good punchline. Thank you. Thank you. That's the end of our physics lesson, and we're moving on to questions from the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love getting questions from you all. Love answering questions from you all. My favorite thing. It's Will's favorite thing. Just saying a lot. Once more, because he writes the script. And I really like Lord of the Rings. And he really likes Lord of the Rings, which we talked about earlier. Our question this week comes from another longtime frequent contributor. At Davy Nelly. Davy Nelly. He says, how did the human race agree upon a unit of time? Are hours and minutes just arbitrary lengths of time derived from how long it takes the Earth to revolve around the sun? Excellent. Excellent question, Davy Nelly. Any relation to Davy Jones? Uh, I'll check in okay, and find I out. That. I'm not totally sure. Thank you. Um, he doesn't have a squid face, so. No. Well, probably not then. Yeah. Anyway, um, so great question. So like time, right? Time is a concept that exists in physics, you know, time progresses, time passes, thermodynamics is kind of all about that arrow of time. But why do we demarcate it the way we do, right? Why, why 365 days? Why 24 hours? Why 60 minutes? Why 60 seconds, right? Great, excellent question. The 365 days is kind of set by just the actual mechanics of our planet orbiting the sun, right? So it takes that many revolutions of our planet, right, around its own axis until it returns back to the same place around the sun that it was when it when we started counting, right? So 30, 365 revolutions around our own axis per one orbit around the sun, 
that's the day. That's why we have 365 days. The other ones, though, as you might guess, um, are entirely arbitrary, right? There's no reason we have to have 24 hours. We could have five hours per day. Like, it's just cutting up that period of darkness and light into even segments. Not currently even. We'll get into that. We could have done it in any amount. We chose 24. Now, why did we choose 24? It's quite interesting, in my opinion. So it all, most of these things have to do with what number system ancient civilizations used. So the Egyptians are our first um, examples that we have records of, of using sundials. As you might know, it's very sunny in Egypt quite often. So we have a lot of examples of sundials, early sundials uh, in Egypt, and they happen to use a duodecimal number system. Say duodecimal? <laughs> How do I know you're going to make that joke? Da, 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 da. Yeah, no, uh, they didn't have a, well, Library of Alexandria, maybe they did use a duodecimal system. I don't know. Hey. But uh, they use base 12, which is duodecimal. So that just means that they, instead of counting 0 through 9, having 10 numerals 0 through 9, they just had two extra numerals that they used. Um, it's theorized maybe they did that by looking at like the number of joints on the hand, discounting the thumb. You have three joints per finger and four fingers. Maybe that's how they counted. I don't know. We have 10 because we have 10 fingers, including our thumbs. Um, but they had base 12. And because they were the ones who used the sundials, right, they decided to separate each sunrise to sunset period into even segments. And because they had base 12 numbers, they chose out 12 segments. Interestingly, and this is actually true up until the 14th century mechanical clocks were invented, um, most people in history had different lengths of hours. Because if you recall, sunrise to sunset isn't a constant amount of time, right? In the summer, it's a longer period of time. In the winter, it's a shorter period of time. Whatever that period of time was, they would split that up into 12 even segments. So an hour in the summer would be longer than an hour in the winter. Which doesn't really matter if you're a farmer or like, you know, a carpenter in a town where you don't really care. You just have a monk who rings the bell every once in a while, right? Right. It doesn't really matter that much to you every day. And it doesn't change that much from day to day either. But interesting nonetheless. Yeah. So 12 hours of daytime. And then they also did, therefore, 12 hours of nighttime. They, uh, back in the day, it wasn't really thought of as being one 24-hour period. It kind of was thought of as two halves, kind of two different realms of, of, of the world, right? Nighttime and daytime. Um, so 12 and 12, 24. That's the hour. It's, again, arbitrary, base 12 system. Similarly arbitrary is the 60 minutes and seconds. Um, as you probably or might be aware, um, the ancient Sumerians used base 60. They used a 60, I think, uh, was it hexagesimal? I think, I forget the name. But six, a base 60, so, which means they had 60 different symbols <laughs> for numbers. Um, it's a little easier than that. It's kind of like Roman numerals. They had like different wedges and whatever. It's not that important. But uh, they, had, they had base 60 numbers. And Sumerians were very impactful on the Babylonians who followed them. And the Babylonians were very impactful on the Greeks. So all three of those people used base 60 for a lot of their math and mathematics, especially when Greeks were developing geometry and things like that. 360 degrees, 60, whatever. Very, very useful number. It also helps. Uh, some people think the reason, the reason 60 was used is because it's divisible by all four, all six first numbers and also, what, uh, 10, 12, 15, and 30. So like, all, it's very divisible, which makes it good for fractions. That's kind of a whole other thing. Regardless, 60 was used, by, was used by the Greeks. The Greeks did a lot of cartography and a lot of geography and a lot of geometry. Um, and so whenever you're making, uh, when you know the Earth's a globe, like the Greeks did, Eratosthenes famously calculated circumference. You separate into 360 degrees like they did. And then once you get, once you want to go smaller than a degree, what do you do? Well, you make subdivisions of that. And because base 60, they split into 60 things per subdivision. And this is where it gets fun 
because I love Latin, as you may or may not be aware. I studied Latin in college, I, my favorite language other than English. And the name for minute and second comes from Latin, so I'm very happy right now. And it, it comes from just a literal description of what it's doing. So the, the name for a minute comes from partes minutiae primae, which just means the first small parts of anything. So in this case, a degree for geometry or for cartography. Um, so partes meaning parts, minutiae meaning small, and primae meaning first. So the first small part, minutiae, called minutes for short nowadays. Then the next one, which I think is really silly, is partes minutiae secundae. So the second small parts of a thing. So once you subdivide it at once, you then subdivide each of those subdivisions into a second subdivision. You call it the second, which I think is kind of funny. So anyway, I'm not exactly clear on why those same demarcations were used from, from geometry into timekeeping, because really no one was able to keep track of minutes and certainly not seconds until very precise timekeeping devices were invented in like the 17th century or beyond. Most watches nowadays don't have seconds on them. They just go by minutes. Generally, it's just a, you know, a literal like, all right, what's the first small part of the smallest thing we have, which is an hour? It's the first small part. So a minute. And then what's the second one after that? Oh, it's the second small part. So a second. <laughs> so why 60? Thanks, Sumer or Babylon or Greeks. Why minute seconds? That's why. Hope that answers your question, David Nelly. Fascinating question. Love that question. Anytime I get an etymology, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, I started to dabble more into sort of the history of science a little bit. Yeah. Which is always fun. But I think that's all we got this week, folks. If you want to get, get a hold of us, you can. You can tweet at us. At Podcast Frames, you can email at us, referenceframespodcast at gmail.com, or on Facebook. Just shoot us a hot text. I will not give you my number, shoot but you have my number already. Text. I guess you can text Will. I got, I got a question via text just the other day. so It's true. If you're part of that exclusive um, club, hit me up. If you like this podcast, boy, wouldn't it just be a treat and a half if you shared it with someone else who might like it? Don't you just love it when, don't you love it when you're... Hanging out with friends and they're like, hey, let me tell you about this podcast mm. I've been listening to. Yeah, I've been oh, watching this sweet a classic, show, read a sweet book, recommend it to them. It's a classic conversation piece. Everyone loves it's it. True. Lunch table at work. Let me tell you about this new podcast. The old water cooler. It's like it's like these two guys and they talk about science. And movies. And movies. And Ant-Man. Anyway, folks, that's that's us. Please. Be, be like Paul Rudd. Share things that are fun. It's good advice for most people, I think, actually. Ian. Is that the end of the episode? Is that what you're, that's your wrap-up? <laughs> Be like Paul Rudd. Bye. Bye. Bye.